Today we are going to start the fifth Aliyah. We're going to learn about the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So let's go right to it. Hashem speaks to the Jewish people in the seventh month. Seventh month, starting from Nisan, as mentioned yesterday, is the month of Tishrei. Be'echal HaChodesh, on the first day of the month of Tishrei, Aleph Tishrei, will be for you a Shabbat song, will be a day of rest, a Zichrein Trua Nikra Kedesh, which means Zichrein is a remembrance, Trua of the blowing of the shofar, appointed uh, day of holiness. And so indeed, on Rosh Hashanah, we make a, first of all, we blow the shofar, obviously, it's a day of blowing the shofar, but here it's a Zichrein Trua, because we also say verses in the Musaf Amida, we say 10 verses of remembrance, how Hashem remembers the Jews, 10 verses about the power of the shofar, and as well 10 verses about God's kingdom upon us. So it's a day of judgment, it's a day when Hashem judges the entire world, all the creatures of the world are judged before Hashem because it's the beginning of creation in actuality. It's a day when by blowing the shofar, we crown Hashem as our king, and it's literally like a coronation. That's really what's happening on Rosh Hashanah. God is only our king because he chose to be our king, but that desire to be king goes away. And by us crowning God as our king and blowing the shofar, we re-arouse uh, this deep, deep-rooted desire of Hashem to be our king, to once again rule over us and to continue sustaining and maintaining a world as we live in. This is the theme of Rosh Hashanah, the day of the true of blowing the shofar and crowning God as our king. Okay? Obviously on this day you cannot do any work. Melechas avoda, meaning you can't do work for business. You're not allowed to work for food. It's a holy day, etc. Then on the 10th day of the month, Yom HaKippurim. This is a day of atonement. So even though there's a judgment of the world on Rosh Hashanah, maybe the judgment wasn't good. Maybe we're not deserving. So then God gives us a chance to, do, to ask for forgiveness, to atone for our sins. How do we do this? Through inisab esnafrasechim, through afflicting our souls. How do we afflict our souls? There's five primary parts of the affliction of Yom Kippur. Not to eat, not to drink, not to wear leather shoes, not to put any creams and perfumes, make you know, ointments, and not to have any intimacy, any marital relations with our wife on Yom Kippur. In addition to that, we have to bring the fire offerings to Hashem that were described, where we already talked about a lot in the parish of Achemos. In addition, in the parish of Pinchas, we're going to learn about the different offerings, the special Muslim offerings of Yom Kippur. During this day, you may not do any work, because this is the day of our atonement, Lifnei Hashem Elokeichem, before Hashem our God. And we already talked about the idea of atonement, Lifnei Hashem, by being before or higher than the name of God and being able to connect through our truth directly with God Himself, the essence of God that transcends even the names and expressions and revelations of God as He's revealed through a name. And now, we know that many Jews are careful not to do work on Yom Kippur. They don't drive, they won't use their phone, even though for regular Shabbat they may not be so careful. And sometimes people have customs that are not rooted in the Torah, but here you see clearly the Torah says that whoever will do work on this day of Yom Kippur, I will make sure that their soul is lost from amongst the Jewish people. Pretty strong, uh, you know, desecrate Shabbos, it's a, it's a death sentence. But here it's an even stronger punishment. Of, of a person being cut off from the Jewish people. And the next verse repeats it, that you should not do any work for all of your generations in all of your dwellings. 
it is a, it's a very, very important day from the most important days, not only of Judaism, but the most important sins, not to, uh, not to uh, do any work on Yom Kippur. And then the Torah says, Shabbos, Shabbosoin Hulachem. It is a Shabbos of all Shabboses. A, Shabbat, a Shabbos of Shabbaton, meaning if Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, which one is more important? Which one overrides which? Shabbat or Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur. So, for example, this year, this year, Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbos. Tisha B'Av is a fast day. We mourn the destruction of the base of Megdash. Tisha B'Av is going to be on Shabbos. Now, we're not allowed to fast on Shabbos. You're not allowed to fast on Shabbos. So what happens? Tisha B'Av gets pushed off to Sunday. So this year, the fast of Tisha B'Av will take, day, will take place on the 10th day of the month of Av. Because you can't fast on Shabbos. So since Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbos, Shabbos is more important than Tisha B'Av, we push off Tisha B'Av to Sunday. But if Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, we don't push off Yom Kippur and say, well, you're not allowed to fast on Shabbos, we'll, we'll do the celebration of Yom Kippur on Sunday. Since Yom Kippur is called a Shabbos of all Shabboses, it has a holier power than the power of the sanctity of Shabbos. And therefore, the holiness of Yom Kippur is so great that even though it's Shabbos, instead of making Kiddush and having a Shabbos meal and saying the Shabbos prayers, instead, we fast, I would say the Yom Kippur prayers, etc., as if it was uh, Yom Kippur, not Shabbos. Got it? In Shabbos, we fasting? Of Yom Kippur, yes. If Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, we fast on, uh, uh, you know, if the Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, we don't blow shofar. But when Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, we follow Yom Kippur and Shabbos is made secondary. And the verse says that you should fast from the ninth day of the month. From evening till evening, you shall rest on the Shabbos. Now we don't fast from the ninth of the month. We fast only on the, from evening to evening of the tenth. But by including the ninth in the day of, in the, the mitzvah of fasting, Torah is telling that if you eat a meal, you know it's a big mitzvah to eat a meal before Yom Kippur, the meal of Erev Yom Kippur is counted like the fasting of Yom Kippur. Which is what? No, if you do it on Yom Kippur, you have to do it before. I don't know, maybe it's just me because I'm the rabbi, I'm always nervous for Yom Kippur. Yeah, only if you fast though. If you fast, then the eating before. For me, like, I never ever have an appetite before. Never. Never. I force myself to eat before Yom Kippur. So, I don't know, because I'm nervous, whatever. It's like, you're going this, that, you go ninja. Okay, then we come to the laws of Sukkis. A lot of stuff to talk about in Sukkis. So the Torah says, speak to the Jewish people, on the 15th day of the 7th month, meaning the month of Tishrei, is a holiday of Sukkot. What does a, a Sukkah mean? A booth, a hut. The holiday of the booths, of the huts. We'll get there why we do that in a second, but first, Torah says, on the first day of the month, the first day, I'm sorry, first day of the holiday, meaning on the 15th day of the month, is a holy day. No melechas avodah, you can't do any work. Seven days are the holiday, when we bring the special offerings that we're going to learn about in Parshas Pinchas. But then the Torah said, Yom Hashmini, on the eighth day, will be a mikra kodesh, will be in a special appointed holy time of holiness for you. And therefore, you should bring the special offerings of the eighth day. You cannot do any work on the eighth day, which tells us that the first day and the eighth day are the holidays when you're not allowed to do any work. The days in between, as I already mentioned yesterday about Pesach, they're Chol Hamoy. They're holiday, 
and you're supposed to try and rest on those days and be in a holier state and to wear Shabbos clothing and not to work if you don't have to. But if you need to, or cause a loss, you're allowed to do work during the days in between the first and the eighth day. What is the eighth day called? So the Torah tells us here in verse 36 that on the eighth day, Atzerashi. It is literally a day of restraint. La'atzor means to stop, right? To hold back. So they are holding back and restraining. Who's being restrained over here? The Jewish people. During, me, during the seven days of Sukkot, we bring a number of bulls. First day is 14 bulls, and 13 bulls, and 12 bulls, and 11 bulls, etc. And if you add them all up, it comes to a total of 70 bulls, representing the 70 nations of the world. It's a big party for the whole universe. We have to finish, just finish Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, God judged the whole world, atonement, big celebration. Now it's the joy of Sukkot. So God says at the end of the whole party, you might make a big party for you, you make a big wedding, right? And you invite hundreds of guests and all that, and everyone's there. It's, then it's all over. So okay, now let's just have a quiet get-together. Just me and, you know, just my kids, without all the relatives and all the guests and all the friends and all the business associates, just so I can enjoy my family. So to Hashem says to the Jewish people, you had a big part of everybody. The eighth day is just one lamb is brought on the base of Mikdash, representing the Jewish people. Today is a day of just me and you and nobody else. So that's the energy of Shemini Atzeret, a very, very holy day of closeness and bonding to Hashem, which is why if you feel the energies of the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, it gets it's holy, it's special. Obviously the energy of Yom Kippur is much more intense than Rosh Hashanah. The holiness, the sanctity, the feeling of awe, of fear before God. And then comes from that the joy of Sukkot. The forgiveness, the celebration, the closeness where we sit in the Sukkah. As I say every Sukkot, the Sukkah is the embrace of God. God is hugging you, embracing you. You're sitting embraced in the mitzvah. There's very few mitzvahs we do that completely envelope our entire body. When you're sitting in the sukkah, every part of your body from head to toe is involved in the mitzvah. It's very, very special. But even the energy of Sukkot and the holiness and the happiness and the joy of Sukkot doesn't even come close to the joy of Shemini Yatzeret. Now it's the one that's alone, just us and God. It's a closeness and a bonding that's very, very special. Then the Torah tells us, so you should bring the special offerings we're going to learn about in the Pasha Pinchas and any vows or pledges a person made he should bring them during this time. He should give all of his pledges to Hashem during this holiday. And then we come to the mitzvah of the four species. Says the Torah that this is a time. First of all, the holiday, says the Torah, is, remember, it's the agricultural holidays here. So this holiday is also called the time of gathering in the produce of the land. Chaga Asif, the gathering. Why are we gathering in? Because people will put out their wheat in the fields the whole summer to dry have to store it through the winter. So if you store it and it's not dry, it will get moldy and it will get infested with bugs. So they have to dry it out in the field. The end of the summer season, which is Sukkot, in you know, September, the summer has ended, and now people are bringing their, their grain and the fruits that was drying in the field, they're bringing it into their storage. So it's a holiday of celebration of the agricultural success of the harvest that you now are gathering home. Then the Torah tells us a very, very famous verse, verse number 40. You shall take for yourself on the first day, meaning the first day of the holiday, so the first day of Sukkot, four species. What are the four species? pre Hadar, a beautiful fruit of the tree. doesn't say what the fruit is. It does not say the Torah and Esther. 
to the pre, a fruit of the tree, Hadar, that's beautiful. Hadar literally means a beautiful fruit, which is why people spend so much money and so much effort to get a beautiful esser, because the Torah calls it a beautiful fruit, so you've got to make sure it's beautiful. In addition, Hadar means Hadar, that it dwells. Dar is to live. Dira is a dwelling. So the esser is a unique fruit, that it, dar, it dwells on the tree for a full year, for a full 12 months. Most fruit, they ripen, they, they bloom, and they ripen, they fall off the tree within a period of a few months, one season. The only fruit to stay on the tree through all four seasons of the year is the esrog. Goes a whole year, and therefore it's a fruit that's called hadar because it dwells on the tree. Dishin, it has a, from the Greek word hydro, which is water, uh, because the esrog takes a tremendous amount of water in order for it to grow, which is why they only grow in very wet climate, they grow very well in Florida, because they need all the water to grow. The second fruit is kapostamarin, a date palm from, which is the branch of a date palm tree, has to be close together. Kapot is like to be tied together. So the, in order to be a kosher lulav, the leaves need to be together. If the middle leaf is split more than halfway, it's not kosher anymore. The anaf et avos, which means the, uh, the branches of a myrtle branch that are braided. Avot is like a rope that's twisted. You have a rope, it's twisted together. So a kosher uh, hadas, the leaves need to be covering each other like a rope that you don't see the stem. They're all, there's three, and they grow in groups of three. Groups of three, groups of three, and the top of this leaf is covering the bottom of the leaf above it. So the whole uh, branch, you don't see the wood of the branch, you only see the leaves of the branch. And finally, Arve Nachal, which are willow branches that grow on the side, they're like weed, they grow on the side of a river, of a river bank, is the Aravot. So we have the Esrog, the Lulav, Three hadasim and the arava, the willow branches. What do they represent? So, of course, you all know the famous explanation that the esrog is a Jew that smells good and tastes good, meaning he smells good, he does a lot of mitzvot, he gives charity, helps others. He tastes good, means that he has Torah, he has depth to him, he has flavor. The date palm has taste, it's a date tree, but there's no smell. It means a scholar that does not share with others. You have a hadas that smells very beautiful, but it has no taste. That's a Jew who's very kind and generous, but does not have, does not have Torah study. And you have the Arab that has nothing, no taste, no nothing. It's a seemingly a useless Jew. All just together help us. Okay, I'll tell you something else new that you probably don't know. The four species also represent the four fathers and mothers of the Jewish people, including Yosef. So the, had, the, the pre-Eitz Hadar, the beautiful fruit, is Avraham and it's Esther. Uh, Esther, sorry, Sarah. Avram is called, uh, Avram is a beautiful Jew, and I forgot the, uh, the reason why he's called beautiful, because he shared with other people, there's a reason why Avram was called a beautiful uh, Jew, he shared with other people. Uh, uh, Sarah is described in the Torah, that she was a beautiful appearance, uh, Sarah. So that's, the Esther is Avram, that was a scholar, he shared with others, he had an influence on the whole world. Sarah, they both are described as the Esther. The lulav, the kapot marim, the branch which is tied, is Yitzchak. Yitzchak was tied on the akedah, on the binding of Isaac. Yitzchak was bound up. He was tied together, like the, like the lulav, the date palm. And so to Rivka is described as uh, kapot marim. I'm not sure why. The next one is Yaakov. Yaakov has, had a lot of children, had 12 tribes. Therefore, he is like the hadas. Double check here a second. Let's read before. One second. 
Yeah, Lulav, oh, Lulav has a, is a, Rivka was a Lulav because she had a sharp point and she gave birth to both the Tzaddik and to Russia. Since Rivka gave birth to both Yitzchak, to, to Yaakov and Esav, it's like a date bomb that separates with a sharp point that goes in two directions. Okay, the Hadas is Yaakov with a lot of sons, just like the Hadas is full of leaves, Yaakov had 12 sons, and Leah, of the four mothers, she had the most children of all the mothers. And finally, um, the Arava is Yosef, and Rachel. Yosef, um, he died before all of his other brothers. He was the first of the brothers to die. Just like uh, Arava, they die very quickly. If you ever done your little nestling, first thing to go bad is the Arava. And so to Rachel, she died very young, like the Arava that dies very quickly. So those are the four, an interesting new perspective. And finally, we have the Sukkah, where Hashem says that during the seven days, in the Sukkah, you should dwell for seven days. Teshu means you should live there. You should eat there, you should sleep there, you should do your business there, you should do your phone calls there, you should do your check the stock market there. Whatever you do, you want to read a book, do it in the sukkah. Our custom is not to sleep in the sukkah because of the holiness of the sukkah. It's not befitting to sleep in the sukkah. But otherwise, you treat the sukkah like you treat your home. You bring all your beautiful stuff there, and the way you live in your home, the more time you spend in the sukkah, the better the mitzvah is. Seven days you dwell in the sukkah. Why? In order that your future generations should know, is that when you were leaving Israel, leaving sorry Egypt, and you were traveling in the desert, I put you in tents. Literally, I built huts for the Jewish people. Or it means the clouds of glory. During the forty years when we traveled in the desert, Hashem gave us clouds of glory in which He would protect us, and therefore to remember how during the forty years when we traveled in the desert. God was protecting us with the clouds of glory. We sit in the sukkah for seven days to remember God. There's more, we'll stop over there. And that's the story of the holidays of the Jewish people.